Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. Hey, we're getting ready to do blast through a whole bunch of very interesting questions here, as usual. You all, the listeners and readers, submit things that I couldn't dream up, but real-life situations that hopefully discussing those will benefit all of us as we're continuing to find our own path in making not only meaningful work, but a meaningful life. Well, we got questions about, uh, gee, is it smart to compete with Dave Ramsey trying to do the same thing he is? Uh, I'll comment on that. Got questions about writing. A lot of questions about writing. How can I take my life story, turn it into something that's going to create income for me? Got a question from somebody about wondering if my books are just uh, hype, smoke and mirrors to make me a lot of money, or do they really help people? Interesting questions. And on and on and on. You know, a couple things I want to comment on just before we get started here. Well, we are started, but uh, I want to remind you about the upcoming events that we've got here at the Sanctuary. We're always excited about those. It's a great way to meet people and develop deeper relationships. Some of you have already been here, but we always have a great time at the sanctuary. we got a write to the bank, how to take your writing and turn it into something that does create income. We've got that coming up in the next, uh, golly, the next couple of weeks here. And then also the coaching with excellence. Those have been growing. We've been capping those uh, at a low number of people just so we can really go deep in what each of you are doing. So if you're interested in coaching, want to turn that into an income stream, Check out the Coaching with Excellence. Also got one where Joanne and I are going to just be talking about the process of working together. Um, She's not involved directly in the business, but certainly very supportive, very knowledgeable about what's going on. We talk about uh, how how we've done that over the years. That one's called Living, Loving, Working. We've been delighted to share that intimate, smaller time together with you as well. Well, we're making a lot of changes here. Now, one thing that you know from listening to me is that I welcome change. I don't try to keep things the same as what they've been years and years ago. I mean, I have kind of as a motto, if it ain't broke, break it. Uh, I know that's counter to the way that a lot of people think, but I think that change allows us to stay on the front edge of good things. I think it allows us to find opportunities that others and to see things that others miss. We're making some changes. We've made a lot of changes in the websites. If you've been to any of our sites, you've noticed that we've made dramatic changes there. Integrate things. I mean, I think that's something that I ought to do once in a while, even if things are working pretty well. And that's exactly what we did. I mean, things are working pretty well, but I, we did a massive overhaul and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. We've made a change in how our newsletter is formatted and how that's going out. Now, I really take seriously our subscriber list, but at the same time, I don't want to just assume that something we did five years ago is still going to work well today. So we're changing that and testing some things. The newsletter is always going on on Tuesday, as an example. Well, not always, but in the last few years, it's gone out on Tuesday because we know that's when most newsletters are sent out. Monday is not a good day. You know, we've traditionally thought Friday, gee, people are getting ready for the weekend. So we have then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is the options, and most newsletters are sent out on Tuesday. Well, some recent research tells us that that is true. That's still true that most newsletters are sent out on Tuesday, but guess when most people 
open newsletters. More newsletters are open on Friday, late morning, early afternoon. So we're going to change that. We just, we're going to change it. Now, we expect to hear from people, and we always take that into account. Another thing that I'm looking at, and this I'll just throw this out, there's a very prestigious conference that happens in California every year. It's called TED, T-E-D. It's, uh, golly, what is it, Technology, Entertainment, and Design, I think. But anyway, people like Bill Gates and Michael Dell and, golly, Maya Angelou. I mean, there's a lot of people who are speakers there. It's very expensive to go to, and... People are exposed to a lot of great content there in just a couple of days. Interestingly, we're used to having keynote speakers speak for 45 minutes or an hour. I mean, we used to have, think about how we used to have sermons in churches. I mean, when I grew up, the sermon was an hour long. You sat there for an hour. So if you had songs and kids special program or something, and then you take up the offering, sing a couple more songs, and the preacher gets up. In this case, it was usually my dad, and the the sermon was an hour long. No matter what you had to do, that was the expected length. Well, I don't know of anywhere at this point where you go to church and you're going to hear an hour-long sermon. I mean, a little country church that we visit frequently just across the way from us, little Methodist church, the pastor's sermon is 14 minutes. I mean, you can set your watch by it. It's 14 minutes to fit in the context of how they structure their hour of being together. But we've gotten away from the long content. I mean, we're spoiled by media. I mean, television, you watch something for three or four minutes and you're going to have an interruption by a commercial message. Now, it may be annoying, but again, our brains are kind of programmed to get sound bites, to get information in very short segments. At the TED conference, the big conference that I referenced where famous people speak, they have 18 minutes. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Clinton or who you happen to be. If you are Bill Gates, you have 18 minutes. That's how much time their speakers have. Because of that, and because of the way trends are changing, I've thought about changing the format of the podcast. This podcast, because we've done so much branding with 48, I mean, I make it 48 minutes long. But I I know it's not tracked. It's difficult to jump in at a particular segment. Rather than starting over again at 48 minutes is longer than most people are going to spend in their cars or perhaps even mowing the yard. But I've thought about making these uh, a couple segments of 18 minutes rather than one long 48-minute one. I'm always looking at ways to change, and I hope you're doing the same thing in your work and your life, looking at what can you do to improve it to make it better. I mean, even if what you're doing now is working, I advise you to be looking at what could you do to ramp it up a little bit and make it better. Now, if you have an opinion on the length of the podcast, I'd be delighted to hear that. Probably the easiest way is just to shoot me an email, askdan at 48days.com, and tell me, would you be interested in having 18-minute segments rather than 148? And I could do two or three. It's very easy to do those and to group together questions just that we have here or to have things that would be more thematic in content. And I'd like to do that as well. But uh, looking at perhaps changing it, just just toying with the idea. But again, I'm certainly not opposed to change, and your feedback is valuable. So shoot me a note at askdan at 48days.com or leave a message on our voicemail, 304-729-4848. Again, that number is 304-729-4848. 
Now, there's a little uh, continuing saga that I've got going on here that I want to share with you because I think it's important. I think there's a principle here that it's really been gnawing at me when I see people not getting it. A few months ago, I wrote a little blog, and it, based on having stopped in at Taco Bell, I think my little granddaughter, Clara, was with me, and we went to Taco Bell like she and I often do. And I happened to have a pretty significant wad of cash in my pocket uh, that particular day. Um, often when I'm going out on a Saturday, you know, I look for cars that are sitting in people's front yards and so on. So anyway, I had a lot of cash. Not a big deal. But anyway, I pulled it out. And the, the kid taking my order at Taco Bell commented on it. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, I wish I had some of that. And I said, well, geez, could you use a loan? He says, oh, yeah. And I said, what would you do if I gave you $1,000? He said, man, I'd quit this job. I'd go home and just hang around the house until the money was gone. I said, now, wait a minute. Then you would not have a job and you would owe me $1,000. How would your life be better in doing that? And he's like, dude, I don't know, man, but it'd sure be cool. Try me out. Well, I wrote about that and the, the stupidity of that. But recently on Fox Business, I I talked about the same kind of scenario and I very specifically on this said what would you do with a thousand dollars as seed capital to turn it into a method to produce a thousand dollars a month and I gave a lot of examples you know I said you could go around to garage sales and buy up old silver clean it up put it on eBay I mean you could buy a lawnmower and start mowing yards you could go to the grocery store and buy all the ingredients to bake cheesecakes and then show up at street fairs and so on to sell them. What could you do to start an income stream to get the pump going, producing for you, if you had $1,000? And again, I gave him an email address, and of course, we were flooded with responses. Now, here's the interesting thing. I mean, 98%, 98% of the responses were all taken in with Things like this, start a nonprofit, give some to the flood victims that were here in Nashville, pay bills, take a vacation, you know, give it to a, a son or daughter who isn't working and just needs money for groceries. 98% of the answers were things that would immediately exhaust the $1,000 one time it's gone, never to be seen again. I mean, I'm blown away by that. How many times do people miss an opportunity to have seed capital to then do something that grows into a money generator? And yet, I mean, you know how many people are complaining right now about not having any money and not being able to help other people and do the worthy things they want to do. And yet, if they're given $1,000, they give it away. End of story. To me, that's foolish. That's not good stewardship. You know, we, we talk about the golden goose. I mean, you know the old Aesop fable about the golden goose. The farmer had a goose that was laying a golden egg. Well, he was getting rich, but he was getting rich slowly. And he thought, man, I'm going to speed up the process. I'm going to kill the goose and just open him up and get all those eggs. Well, you know how that went. If you know the anatomy of a goose, he cut it open. There weren't a lot of golden eggs in there. The goose had to produce one a day. He killed the golden goose, certainly an important metaphor for a lot of situations. But you know what? Now, in that story, we think greed killed the golden goose. But you know what can kill the golden goose just as much? A heart of service, a humanitarian, godly heart who wants to help other people. A heart of service can kill the golden goose just as dead as a heart of greed. 
I don't have an easy solution for this. But, I mean, I had to struggle in the responses to choose a couple winners. We gave them a $129 product package with 48 days materials. But I had to struggle to find answers in the hundreds of answers that came in that would in any way increase the person's income potential so they could then in turn give that effectively. I mean, if you get out, got $1,000, if you're just going to tie, that means you, you give $100, that's fine, and then use the $900 to do something to improve your life. Well, I'll move on. You know, I, I, I swear there's a book in there. I mean, th- this whole thing is just gnawing at me so much that I, I can't get away from it because I see it played out day after day after day. I mean, I have a neighbor just two doors down from me who years ago now, I mean, somebody did help him out a little bit. He took $60 and bought some tools and started working on cars. Now, I mean, I've got that story, his story, and no more Mondays. But he literally did. He took $60. He had $60 worth of tools, started working on cars, worked out of it. They lived in a little trailer, and he worked, did them in the backyard. Then he moved them to another place where he worked out of an old barn. It was unheated, uncooled, dirt floor, but he worked out of that. Then he moved into a shop in town. I mean, at this point, he does a couple million dollars a year in car repairs. I mean, a very successful business. I mean, the little lot that used to house their trailer now has a beautiful, about a 5,000-square-foot house on it because he was able to do that because he took that little bit of money that somebody helped him out with and invested in a way that provided a money stream for him. Well, let me move on before I take up the whole time. I could take 18 minutes there just, just talking about that issue for sure. Well, Jenna says, Dan, I'm a 63-year-old married lady who is still working and never has any money. That being said, I've been reading your stuff. really like some of your suggestions. Actually, I've had some of the same ideas, but I've never followed through. I'm afraid of failure. Plus, I really don't know how to follow through. Here's my dilemma. I believe I have a story that needs telling. So she's saying she thinks she has a book that needs to be written. I don't know how to go and so on and so forth. Okay, now, let me just give you some of the details. This is a lengthy email, and I won't go through that. But she says, here's a little bit of a background. I've been married four times, divorced three. Two of my ex-husbands were and are child molesters. Molested my daughter. My baby brother's a child molester, drug alcohol abuser. My father was an abusive man, threatened me twice at gunpoint. I've been raped by my cousin's husband. One of my exes beat me. I've sinned so much, I still feel shame when I think about it. I was in a horrific car accident, had severe injuries, mind and body, about 10 years ago. She goes on and on with this. Now, she says, I feel very much like Paul, who says he was the chief of sinners. I believe all that has happened to me was in God's plan for my life, so that through me, he can comfort others. I just need encourage. And she wants encouragement to, to write her story. This, well, I mean, this, this, this is a, a horrendous life story. Jan, and I grieve with you as I read about this. Now, a, a couple things. I would be very cautious about saying this was God's plan for your life. I would hesitate to put a biological earthly father in a position of thinking he designed that. I mean, would I design a life like this for my child? I don't think so. I think you're superimposing characteristics on God that probably are not accurate. I I don't think you can do that. I mean, life happens. We live in a very real world for sure. But to say that that was all his will, 
I certainly think that he is grieved as much as you or I are. Now, when you say that you want to write a book, here's your best approach. Your best approach is to move forward and to be wildly successful. Then you have a story of redemption to tell. I mean, at 63 with the things that you define in your life, I mean, you really can't just go through that and leave people wallowing. I mean, that is not a story that people are going to be drawn to. I mean, give them a happy ending. I mean, do something where you now show that in spite of all of that, you can do something that's amazing. I mean, we want a Horatio Alger kind of story. I mean, I just read Delivering Happiness, the new book by Tony Shea, who developed the company Zappos. You know, they sell shoes online. I mean, he just recently sold his business to Amazon for $1.2 million. Yeah, we'd consider that a success. Now, the reason people listen to his story is because of his success now. I mean, he talks in there about how he struggled and was homeless at one point himself. But the reason that's such an appealing story is because of where he is now. So success now will give you a story to tell that people will want to hear. Now, this isn't to just uh, heap more challenges on you, but define what is it that now that you have learned all those painful lessons and gone through those painful life experiences, what is it that you can do now that does bring a story of hope, encouragement, and redemption? Live that out, and as you're living that out, then you'll have a story to tell that people would be interested in. Mike says, Dan, my wife and I are both 40. I've always been fairly entrepreneurial. I was a contract seminar leader for Fred Pryor. I owned a few retail stores, and he goes on. Then he got in the mortgage business. The bottom fell out. He was used to making $150,000. Now that income has dropped. During that time of upheaval, they burned through all their savings and um, you know, had to stop paying on credit cards, cars, and even the house for a while. Got in a real tough situation. Says, I don't want to ever do debt again. What I would like to do is teach other people to do what I have done. I know many Americans are in the same boat, either because they lived well above their means, or as I like to say, they lived within their means until the means were taken away. I see myself as a personal coach, seminar leader, web entrepreneur, selling manuals and other products as it relates to this subject. My question is, do you see the fact that I am not yet complete with this process a hindrance? No. Let me stop there. There's another question here, but no. The fact that you are not fully there. Now, just like the previous question where Jana was, you know, she's still coming back in her own story. You don't have to have a perfect life before you have a story to tell. And like this, like you're talking about here, if you've gone through financial challenges, no, you can tell your story and you can help other people avoid the mistakes that you made while you're still recovering from your own loss. And certainly my buddy Dave Ramsey did that. He did not wait until he was a millionaire again. He started helping people and telling his story while he was deep in the trenches, having just come out of bankruptcy. Well, Mike's question is, question is, my conundrum is that I feel a bit awkward asking for advice on what would essentially be a competitor of your good friend, Dave Ramsey. I've read his books along with others, used many of his techniques, use his, listen to his podcast daily, admire his work as well as success greatly. But he says, I want to do some things a little differently. I don't have the same kind of Christian framework as Dave. But, you know, is this a bad move to try to go up against Dave? No, not at all. I mean, when you start thinking about the market for people who need better financial advice, I mean, it's, it's limitless. I mean, there are millions and millions anywhere in the world. 
I mean, think about people like Susie Orman or Robert Kiyosaki or Crown Financial Ministries or what Larry Burkett was doing or Ron Blue. I mean, there's a whole lot of people who are speaking into that space trying to help people make better decisions about their money. Dave doesn't have a a captive audience. I mean, there's a lot of people who have listened to Dave and then gone on and started very successful businesses of their own. You can do that. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. I mean, you can start your own radio show. You can build it aggressively over 20 years into a 650-station network with a couple million listeners every day. Uh, You can write a couple New York Times best-selling books. You can develop a seminar that's now being taught in like 12,000 churches. I mean, don't worry about being Dave's competitor. Go for it. If that's where your heart is and that's the material that you want to teach, there's plenty of room for more voices on financial responsibility. So, and believe me, Dave is not going to feel threatened if he knows that you're taking some of his material or his concepts and you're going out here and doing the same thing. I mean, not at all. I mean, I do the same thing. One of the things that that has fueled my success is helping other coaches do what I did for so many years. I mean, that has made me more money than the actual coaching itself. I mean, Dave has right now, as we speak, a big group, 150 people here in town who are just getting a tune-up on being presenters of his material in their churches and companies around the country. I mean, he makes a lot of money teaching other people how to do essentially what he did initially. So he will not be threatened. Go ahead and do it. No problem. Well, Sharon says, I have a good government job that allows me to telecommute. Now, listen to this. This is this is uh, pretty poignant. I have a good government job that allows me to telecommute. So she's working at home, doesn't have to show up at an office. I go weeks between projects. It goes against my work ethic to do something other than work during the eight hours I'm being paid for. It's killing my self-esteem. As for my thoughts, well, you're obviously being paid for results rather than time. That in itself is a very healthy move. More and more companies are moving to that model. It's a ridiculous business principle to pay people for their time. I mean, ultimately, you can't do that. I mean, you could have 20 people show up every day for eight hours. If they didn't do anything productive, how long is the company going to stay around? I mean, it's a real easy, logical transition to see that you can't pay for time. Ultimately, you have to pay for results. So a lot of us have structured our businesses, so that's all we pay for. I mean, I have people, lots of people that do work for me. I don't know if it takes them an hour or 10 hours It's really irrelevant because once we identify the end results desired, they're paid for delivering the results. So if they want to work for 15 minutes and then go walk the dog or take a swim, I don't care. When they deliver the results, they're compensated for that. So it sounds like even though it feels a little awkward, that's what's happening with you. The company's paying you for the results that they want, not for eight hours a day. But because you feel like you're an employee, you still cringe because you may be able to get the work done much quicker than what eight hours would require. Well, the only modification here is you do the work so slowly that it consumes eight hours. Well, that doesn't make it better for anybody. So I would say, don't worry about it. If that's really how they're doing it and they know what's going on and you know what's going on, just be comforted in the idea that you're being paid for results rather than time. Well, here's Bruto's question. Bruto, that's an interesting name in and of itself. Dan, is your 48 days self-help program, a self-help program, and will it find me me 
a better job or is it all hype to sell your book? If it does work, do you have any proof of this? I'm a critic as I believe you are trying to sell me something that may not work just so you can get rich. Well, there you go, Bruto. I just put out a bunch of empty pages and hope nobody looks inside before they pay me 20 bucks for the book. Now, how long do you think that program would stand up? If there were not value in the 48 Days Principles, do you really think that people would continue to be buying the book? I mean, five, six years after its first publication? And I, I'm not sure how that would possibly be true. Now, I, I think that, you know, people, incidentally, people don't go into bookstores and just browse around and buy books. That's a rarity. People buy 48 Days to the Work You Love or No More Mondays or Rudder of the Day or whatever it happens to be, right to the bank, in a bookstore because they have already heard about it and somebody said, oh my gosh, it changed my life. You have to get it. They go to the bookstore to pick it up. I mean, that's why people buy, but books don't become bestsellers because they were sitting on a shelf at Barnes and Noble or Books a Million. No, it's because somehow it connected with people and those people are spreading the word. Now, I'm, I'm, please don't take this as defensive. I mean, my goodness, um, if the book doesn't help, I mean, we've always told people here that if you buy 48 days to the work you love. And if you don't get a job that you love in 48 days, send it back. We'll give your money back. I mean, how, how can you beat that deal? I mean, you aren't risking anything. That's called risk reversal. We remove the risk totally. Now I can't do that. If you go to Barnes Noble and buy it, if you buy it there, uh, they may have a different policy that's between you and them. But if you buy it from us, you don't get it, the work that you love, send it back. We'll give your money back. We've had that policy for years and years and years. And incidentally, you know, we have less than less than one tenth of one percent. I mean, the numbers are really kind of strange. I mean, that means if we sell 10,000 of something, we may get one or two back. And believe me, we very eagerly refund those people's money. I don't want people out there thinking that they didn't get value out of my materials. But now here's the other side of this. So let's say that you're suspicious about 48 days having any real value for you. Go to the stinking library and read it. It costs you nothing. But here's what I really want to share. If you won't spend $10, and I think you can get it on Amazon for like 10 bucks at this point, probably get them used, you know, for two somewhere. But if you won't spend $10 and the chance that you could change your life, you're probably being way too cautious and being suspicious of every new idea will keep you trapped in the same life you have now. I mean, again, I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but my gosh, I mean, I got to be honest about this. If you aren't willing to risk 10 bucks on something that may have the potential to change your life dramatically and increase double or triple your income, yeah, you're, you're, you're being very, very cautious and uh, you're going to miss a whole lot of opportunities and 10 years from now, you're going to have exactly the same life you have today. Well, let's go on. Bill says, Dan, I'm looking through your 48 business ideas, PDF. I was really taken by number 13, and that's real estate signs, where I talk about a kid who goes out and puts up real estate signs for open houses. And, you know, so he puts up two, 300 on Friday, and then on Sunday night he goes and collects them, and he gets paid, you know, five bucks a piece or something for doing that, and is a pretty good income generator. 
says, I've always loved real estate and have often considered getting my license. Anyway, it made me wonder if that could be expanded to open house staging. I know that staging, furniture, paintings, etc. is common in real estate. What about, and he lists the things that he would do. Uh, have signs for the open house, have food, cookies in the fridge ready to be put in the oven throughout the day, apple cider in a crock pot and so on, candles, uh, booties for people to put on during a rainy season so they go in and don't trash out the house, etc. The idea is the agent can pick a package and all they have to do is show up. Interested in your thoughts. Thanks for your work in ministry. Despite the fact that our personalities are very different, I really enjoy your work, your books and podcasts. You encourage me to change my face as I tell my kids. I'm curious about that. I, I'm not sure what that means, that our personalities are very different. I guess my personality is probably pretty transparent, and that's okay. So different in whatever way. I uh, hope you're comfortable with that. If that's how you're wired, then uh, enjoy it and be great with the personality that you have. But, yes, I like the idea, Bill. I mean, I think staging open houses for real estate is a great idea. It makes perfect sense. And the cool thing is there's really no risk. You just put together the details for, you know, package A, B, and C and test it. So you can test it with really no risk at all. If you get a great response, man, you got a home run. Just duplicate it and keep doing it. Uh, If you don't get the response that you want, you go on to another idea. That's how it's done. Ted says, Dan, first, thanks for the inspiration to follow my passion. I've been a Dan fan for two years now, motivated by four of your books and weekly podcasts. I've recently self-published my first novel. Now I'm concerned about my next step with my publishing company. I have the URLs. At what point do I need to get a business license or other legalities? And uh, I went and looked. He's got a book called uh, Runaway, and it's a novel about a 14-year-old boy. Um, In answer to your question, Ted, you really don't need to do anything else. I mean, if you want to turn this book, this little novel that you did into an ongoing business where you're going to be doing speaking seminars and workshops and merchandise and all that, then yeah, you may want to go ahead and get a business license, you know, just under that name. But just to have one book that you've written uh, really doesn't require that you need to get a business license or have any other kind of legalities at all. Just do that. And if you make you know twenty thousand dollars from book sales, you just show that as miscellaneous income, and there's nothing else that you have to do. And I, and I, now, if you were going to quit everything else you're doing and expect all your income to come from this book, then yeah, I would encourage you to get a business license. But I doubt seriously that that's the case. I hope that's not the case because the chances of you making a living from publishing one first novel are infinitesimally small. So I assume that you're doing something else for your primary income. Just continue that as it is. Anything that you do from this can just be handled as miscellaneous income. Not a problem at all. Matthew says, Dan, I realized the other week that the insurance agency I work for is literally dying. I'm the youngest employee at 37. In a family-owned agency, not my family, though, business hasn't been great in this area. Massive unemployment, people moving out of state, foreclosures abound. The agency owner doesn't want to put money into advertising. He could care less if the agency folds because he has plenty of cash. Because of this, my paycheck has been suffering, grossing less than $18,000 a year. I know my passion to help encourage and inspire others, but don't see how that applies in my current J-O-B. I don't see myself selling insurance 10 or even five years from now. 
not to sound proud or arrogant, but I feel like I was created to do something great, but I have no idea what that is. The agency manager wants to retire in five years and is trying to encourage me to take over. I thought about moving on to pursue schooling like a counseling degree, but then I read Acres of Diamonds story again. I'm not sure if I'm passing up my own Acres of Diamonds by leaving. I'm sick of living paycheck to paycheck, but have a family to support and advice. Yes, make your plans to exit this J-O-B and business, family business, as soon as you can. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons for this. Acres of Diamonds is the old story that the farmer didn't recognize the diamonds that he had right on his own property. And oftentimes that's true, where rather than the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, we look at where somebody's best opportunities are and they're right under their nose. I don't think there's any reason for thinking that in this. And just because you are there and and thinking that somehow you're going to bypass an opportunity that you're not seeing, nah. I mean, the, the insurance business has changed dramatically. I mean, I have probably, I don't know, probably 12 or 15 different insurance policies on various things. Most of those I've never met or talked to the agent. I mean, the days of it being where an agent is somebody you see at church and down at the hardware store on Friday night at the local restaurant. I mean, those are over. I mean, people jump online. You can shop any kind of quote that you want to an insurance. And if you save 10 bucks a month, people switch. I mean, it's just a different kind of animal to have a locally owned agency has really lost its toehold in the marketplace. So this is like, well, you're there. I mean, you're making 18,000 bucks a year. You can go to Taco Bell and increase your income. I mean, there's no merit in just trying to eke something out that's not working. And in terms of, well, you want, you don't want to leave, you know, in this little carrot that's being offered to you that they want you to take over the agency in five years when it's an agency you have no, a business you have no passion for. You don't have any passion for the people who are running it now. I mean, no, 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 no. Just make a plan to go on with your life and move into something that's more productive and fulfilling and purposeful than this. I mean, you could be working for the local blacksmith and think, well, boy, I'm, I'm right here. You know, I'm missing something. No, what you're missing is the fact that people are driving cars. Very few people ride horses and your business is tanking. Just take the opportunity to create a clear path for where you want to be a year from now and create your transition. John says, Dan, I'm working 40 to 60 hours a week, but not including drive time, only on page only on page 96 after reading more than a month in 48 days to the work you love. I want a more suitable job, but feel overwhelmed and tired. If I can't put a ton of, ton of time to my job search, what can be done? Thanks, John. Well, now, John, I'm going to just step all over your toes on this, I'm sure. You have 168 hours in a week. Now, that's exactly the same number of hours each week that Thomas Edison had, Benjamin Franklin, Mother Teresa. I mean, anybody that you know, that's exactly the same amount of time that they have. Donald Trump or Richard Branson or Bill Gates, they have 168 hours a week. That's it, 168 hours just like you have. If you are on page 96 of 48 Days to the Work You Love after a month, that means that you're reading three pages a day. Now, I I read a page a minute, so that would be three minutes. But let's just say that you're not quite that fast. Let's say you're much slower. It takes you two minutes to read a page. Now we're talking six minutes a day. 
Now, what could you do to speed up this process dramatically if you invested 30 minutes a day in planning a job transition? I mean, it doesn't take four hours a day to work the principles of 48 days and change your life. I mean, not at all. What could you do if you spent 30 minutes of uninterrupted time? Now, you see you're working 40 to 60 hours a week plus travel time. So let's say that, let's just round that up and let's say you have 68 hours that you devote to work. So now we're down to 100 hours. Do a time budget. Do a zero-based time budget and identify what are you doing with that other 100 hours. Now, if you want to sleep eight hours a night, that's fine. I mean, I do. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, sleeps three hours a night. I had a guy in a workshop recently and he sleeps three to four hours a night. Very successful entrepreneur. And I said, oh my gosh, I would be, I would be toast. I sleep eight hours a night. I don't scrimp on that. But that doesn't mean that I can't be productive by using the rest of the time well. So look at the, what are you doing with the rest of the time? Increase the time. This is a short-term process. This is not something that you have to expect to do for a year. No, create a timeline. If you increase the time you're spending on your job search to 30 days, what if you could in 48 days then, or let's say that it took you 60 days or 90 days, but we're talking about a short-term transition where you do transition out of a job where you're driving a long way at work that you don't enjoy, and now you move into something that you really love. I mean, just see it as a short-term high burst of intensive activity to get you where you want to go, and then you can level off again. Victor says, Dan, I enjoy listening to your podcast, different ideas about creating meaningful work currently in that journey in the brainstorming session so I don't have a written plan yet. I work for IBM and doing very well there. I'm a tech guru. My job as a hardware developer lets me use my talents and I excel in the workplace. Um, I want some advice on writing science fiction and how to make a profit out of that. Now listen to this though. This is worth reading here. It's a paragraph that kind of breaks this down. Victor says, I have a handful of short story ideas that I think are awesome. All I have written, though, is a one-page paragraph summary about each one just so that I can refer back to them when I'm ready to put more substance or fill in the blanks, if you will. My biggest problem is that I'm not really a writer. I'm an engineer. So if I have to write more than one page, I start getting sidetracked. I got all B's in my English classes, so I could do a pretty good job of writing, but I don't like the process. I've written one book, which was my thesis, and most of it was copies of programming code. How can I take my sci-fi ideas and make them into short stories to be published into books, magazines, movies, or TV shows? Do I have to bite the bullet and be able to sit down and write pages of material to publish? Or are there services where I can partner with a full-time writer, feed them the content, and they write it and perhaps share the profits? Yes, no, maybe all the... Now, I mean, what do I talk about? Love your work. Love your work. Do you think I'm going to encourage you to be a writer if you don't enjoy it? I mean, not a chance. I mean, I run into people all the time. They say, oh, gee, I need to write a book. You know, and I say, why? Well, it'll really, you know, help position me with credibility and blah, 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 respect. And all that's true. And then they say, but, oh, I hate the process of writing. I'm saying, you got to be kidding me. Don't write a book. There's a whole lot of ways to establish a platform out here and to do things that are notable. And as in every application, it's ludicrous to think you're going to talk yourself into doing something well that you don't really enjoy. Writing a book is going to fall in that category. So don't try to be a writer if you don't enjoy writing. Now, with what you're describing here, Victor, I mean, you could start a blog. 
I mean, a blog ought to be five to 700 words. I mean, we're talking a couple paragraphs. You can start with that with your ideas. Develop a theme for the sci-fi writing that you want. There's no cost, and you can see if it connects with your readers. I mean, if you can build a successful platform and an audience, fantastic. Yes, you will have people coming to you saying, we want to help you write a book. I mean, you'll have ghostwriters that show up or publishers that show up and say, your content ought to be turned into a book. And you can end up with a book without ever having to write a traditional book. I mean, a lot of the most popular books out there, I mean, even my buddy Seth Godin, who I talk about, and he, one of his books, Small as the New Big. Small as the New Big does not have chapters. It doesn't have topics put together. There's no continuity as you go through. It's 183 individual blogs. It's a pretty big book, 183. But it's just little short blogs that he wrote and then he just put them between two hard covers and yes it's a book so don't think that you have to sit down and be the next Stephen King to write you know sci-fi and develop a full story like that as an author no do what fits you I mean come back to that again and again and again do what fits you that's where you're going to find your greatest success well here this one comes from Kurt he says Dan my name is Kurt I now and this is broken English Obviously, English is not his first language. I stay in South Africa, Cape Town. I have no work for a very long time. I've struggled so much. Uh, I grew up in the streets. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase here to make it readable. I wish life were easier on me because sometimes I feel like ending it. But I don't give up. I try my hardest. Uh, a friend gave me your e- your email page, and that's why I'm emailing you. I have great large ideas, but don't know where to begin or get the finance. I'm not famous nor rich, but I would like to make a living just to support myself. I don't need millions. I just need my life. I'm 23 years old. I don't even own a car. I walk up to 30 kilometers or ride the train if I have uh, to go into Durban. Um, out of chance, I'm not here to beg. I'm here to ask for help because I want to do something with my life. You're the last bit of hope I have, Kurt. Now, I I would like to engage about 300 of you regular podcast listeners to help respond to the emails that come in like this. I mean, unfortunately, I can't respond individually to all of them, but there are a lot of really heartfelt stories where just with a little encouragement, I think people can be helped. I mean, I'm a big believer in the micro enterprise process and micro lending. I mean, there are people like Kurt who were given, you know, a hundred dollars and turned it into a real business. Now, it's hard to just do that with one quick email, but I mean, I, this does tug at my heart when I see things like this, but you know, the principles for being successful really aren't any different. If you live in South Africa, or if you live in Rwanda, or if you live in Bangladesh, or if you live in Paducah, Kentucky, I mean, they really aren't. Now, I'm not diminishing the challenges that some third world countries have had and the high unemployment they have. But yet I see the things that make people successful. There are things that are certainly available here. The same kind of things. You look at yourself. What is it that you have as a valuable area of competence? If you can't identify what it is that you do well, that brings value to an organization or to your neighbors, then you are stuck. I mean, nobody owes you a job. Nobody owes you a paycheck. Nobody needs to give you money. No, you need to define what is it that you do well. But even in in a country where you live, now there are parts of South Africa that are very affluent. There's certainly abject poverty there as well. 
and I don't know, Kurt, exactly where you are, but I mean, there are people there who will wash windows. I mean, my, my son, in having spent years in Africa, I mean, he would pay somebody with a motor scooter to take him to his appointments. Now, my son, incidentally, is 32 years old, and he doesn't own a car. So owning a car is not a necessity for being successful, depending on where you're living, the culture you're in. But, you know, you could have a little motor scooter, and, and people would pay you to take them to your appointments. You could raise goats. You could get a cell phone and rent it out by the minute. I mean, the idea is we could go on and on and on. You could take the 48 business ideas that I've got in a free PDF and take some of those and adapt them to your culture and do that. And these are not things that require a big education or require a lot of startup capital. But you've got to be creative like that and to, you know, write to, um, you know, your, your perceived rich, rich white American is not a method that's going to change your life. I'll respond to Kurt. I'll give him some particulars. If he's on the Internet, at least certainly there are some ways that we can help. But I'm always looking for ways, you know, what are real ways that we can help people like that? I mean, working with my son, who is very involved in social entrepreneurship around the world, I mean, we're developing some ideas that have worked pretty well for helping people get out of abject poverty where they had absolutely nothing, and yet now they're able to see daylight, well, here's, here's another one that's the same thing. Now, this is a lady, and I don't know where she is, but she says, I'm a 30-year-old a Christian woman who's working harder I'm, to get closer to the Lord. I'm unhappy because I'm unemployed. I'm a college student. want to get back in the job market. My problem is that I want another car, and uh, I want to just get some help so I can get a car so I can get ahead. And she sent me a copy of an email that she's sending out, just mass email, where she wants 20,000 people to give her a dollar. So she can get a $20,000 car. I think that's a ridiculous plan. I mean, just go down on a street corner in your town and just hold out a sign and ask people for money. I mean, there are people that do that that get six, $800 a day. I mean, I think that's a more effective way where people at least connect with you, get eye contact with you, see you, talk to you briefly, and they'll give you money. I mean, just do that. Just, just beg, but just do it openly on a street corner instead of thinking that using the internet is going to give you a little more leverage. And you're going to have 20,000 people give you a dollar. Nah, I mean, I'm certainly not going to send my dollar. Sorry. I think this is a very poor, ill-conceived plan to improve your life in any way. You've got to figure out what is that you do that has value. I mean, why are you unemployed? Why are you having such a hard time finding a job? Figure out what it is you do that has some kind of value. Engage that, and you'll start having your own nest egg where you can hold your head high, feel proud about it. Incidentally, you donate $20,000 to get a car. I mean, I buy cars for 1000 bucks all the time. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, I, we help out a lot of people who are in desperate straits, and we help out the young ladies that... Joanne is mentoring that come out of the prison that really are down and out and need a helping hand. The cars that I give them to get started are not $20,000 cars. Trust me. Never. I've never had a $20,000 car, incidentally. I drive cars that are a lot of fun. Classics. I mean, people admire them. But just trust me. I have never spent $20,000 on a car. But you need to be realistic about this whole process. And what you are presenting here is not realistic. Let me just get one more here. Chris says, Dan, thanks for your website. Your podcast really has helped me with the startup I've been working on for the past six years, a welding and metal fabrication business. 
I'm just now beginning to perform work, get paid for my services. It's wonderful. My question is, I'm currently working full-time on a second shift factory position and doing my business during the day. The second shift job is a good place to work, but it's not where my passion lies. The security of the second shift job is difficult to walk away from, however. At what point can I feel confident enough to leave my factory job? Should I maintain multiple income sources, a job and a business, until retirement in 20 to 25 years? No. Now, again, Chris is saying that he, he built a welding metal fabrication business. That's cool. I mean, that, that has a lot of open-ended potential. That's not the kind of thing where there's only you know $20,000 a year possible. Golly, be creative with the kind of things that you can do with that and see that duplicating and bypassing the income that you're getting on your traditional job. If you're working second shift, so you're working 3 to 11 or whatever it happens to be, the second shift, and then you're working all day long. I mean that I don't I don't expect I don't recommend anybody to be working 80 hours a week. I mean if you're working 80 hours a week, you're borrowing from the success in some other areas of your life. You're going to be suffering in relationships, physically, spiritually, personal development, socially, something is going to be suffering because you can't put that much time into work and still nurture those other areas that are equally as important. So no, I'm not going to say have a real job and have a business forever. Now, if you have a real job and then you devote two hours a day to your side business and that creates nice little income, that's fine. But if you see the potential in your business to duplicate and bypass the income that you're getting from your second shift job, then my encouragement is always going to be absolutely do that. Ramp that up. Define your time where you can move totally into having your own business. Well, I'm going to end with that. Again, just a reminder, and if you you got some input about the length of the podcast, if you'd be interested in 18 minutes or 10 minutes or 15, as opposed to the traditional 48, I'm open. There's nothing written in stone around here at all. We can change it, and we can make it four minutes and eight seconds. I mean, I could do all kinds of things. We can do 48 second. I've done a lot of 48 second spots for people introducing um, promotional things for the seminars coming up and all that. When somebody calls, when somebody gets a product from us, they have a little sticker on that says, wait before you open this. Dan has a 48-second message from me. You call, oh, geez, what's the number? It's 888, and then it's 4848. No, it's it's 888-48-DAYS-2. That's what it is. Anyway, it's a toll-free number that we've had for years. And you call, and you'll hear a 48-second message from me congratulating you on being such a smart, brilliant citizen. Well, we're going to end with that. Again, we'd be delighted to have you get involved at 48days.net. If you need some ideas, you'll find a lot of people there who are testing ideas, sharing what they're doing to be successful as they're moving along. We'd welcome seeing you at some of our seminars coming up here. we got some $10 specials going on right now. You can check those out on the web. we got all kinds of things happening to, to help you in this process. Again, to help you in this process, not only of finding a meaningful job or meaningful work, but making your life meaningful. And this is not just a one-segment, one-trick pony here. Work is simply one tool for a successful life. I want to hear your success stories about how you are successful in those other areas of your life that are equally or even more meaningful. Have a wonderful week as you continue this process of finding a meaningful life.